At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. It's been 3,198 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 279 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents, though with less activity compared to November 27th. Russian forces conducted 30 fire missions on the free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River, killing one civilian and wounding two others in the Kherson rayon. Russian artillery fire continues to focus on targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. In Russian-occupied Veliki Kopani, rockets fired by HIMARS destroyed a Russian battery of multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and wounded an unspecified number of Russian soldiers. At the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, Enerhoatom employees were blocked from entering the plant by Russian officials and Rosatom managers. Renat Karcha, advisor to the general director of Rosenerhoatom, told the Russian state media publication TASS, quote, the passes of those who are not going to sign a contract and refuse to work with a new employer, represented by JSC Zaporizhia NPP Operating Organization, have been blocked. End quote. Russian officials falsely claim that Ukrainian workers don't want to sign Russian work contracts because their families have been threatened by Ukrainian officials, and claim Russian officials haven't placed, quote, undue pressure on Enerhoatom workers. This contradicts multiple reports from the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, that Rosatom has placed extreme pressure on Ukrainian workers to sign Russian contracts. At the time of recording, the IAEA had not released a statement about the situation. Ukrainian officials reported that a railroad bridge over the Malochna River in Starobogdanivka, Zaporizhia, was damaged in an attack on the structure. After an active day on Sunday, there was only sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to Sherbaki. 
Now to the Donbas region, starting with southwest Donetsk. There wasn't a lot of activity reported in southwest Donetsk. Many of the social intelligence channels from the region haven't updated since 1300 Pacific Standard Time yesterday, indicating there may be power or communication outages in the region. There weren't any reliable reports of fighting in Marinka, but positional fighting has likely continued. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops attempted to flank Marinka from the north again with another attack on Krasnohorivka. In an extremely rare occurrence, the GSAFU and the Russian Ministry of Defense were tightly aligned in their updates. Both reported fighting at the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske with no change in the situation. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported continued fighting on the eastern edge of Pervomaiske near Piski and at the edge of Vodyana, with elements of the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, trying to advance westward from Opitne. The People's Militia of the DNR released a video allegedly striking a Ukrainian observation post in Pivnichne with a tank. The video is suspect and shows a much larger-than-expected explosion from a single tank round on a high-rise building near Toretsk. Also, did they use a potato for a camera? The video quality is terrible. Two thumbs down. Do not recommend. An oil depot caught fire in the Russian-occupied city of Donetsk, but there were no claims by either belligerent that it was related to a military strike. The Russian-occupied cities of Horlivka and Donetsk continue to be shelled. Occupation officials are claiming that every school and kindergarten in the DNR has received a bomb threat and that, quote, security services are conducting checks, end quote. Residents throughout the region were told to stay home unless absolutely necessary and to limit their time on the streets. Some assessment here. It's hard to dismiss the claim out of hand, considering that pranksters and likely state security from both belligerents have used bomb threats to disrupt commerce and create confusion. With the looming threat of a wide-scale missile strike across Ukraine this week, the timing of the stay-home order within the DNR and the reason why feels more than coincidental. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that Russian forces are building a large ammunition depot in the city center near a school where in-person classes are being held. The depot is located in the bombed-out remains of the central market, which was destroyed back in March during the siege of Mariupol. In northeast Donetsk, the GSAFU, the Russian MOD, and Wargonzo all reported that fighting continued east of Yakovlivka, with Russian forces not advancing. Russian sources reported significant fighting continued east of Soledar and restarted in the southern parts of Bakhmutska. Intense fighting continued east of Bakhmut along the E-40 highway and on the eastern edges of Opitne. Multiple Russian sources claimed that Klishivka, Zelenopilia, Kordyumivka, Andriivka, and Ozaryanivka were captured by the private military company, or PMC, Wagner Group. This was further amplified by a claim by the self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, that Bakhmut was almost in a technical encirclement and its capture would happen soon. Okay, let's take this with a few grains of salt. Russian sources particularly the Territorial Guard of the DNR and the entire Luhansk People's Republic government, have made repeated false claims of battlefield success on the Bakhmut front since August. Based on our research and analysis, here's what we've concluded. Klishivka. 
There is no evidence that Russian forces captured the settlement, and no pictures or videos were provided to support the claims. None of the semi-reliable Russian sources reported any fighting in the area. Andreevka. PMC Wagner made a specific claim the settlement was captured without pictures or videos. Neither Wargonzo nor mercenaries with Rybar mentioned the settlement, and the Ukrainian source Deep State reported the hamlet remained contested. Based on the available information, we consider the settlement contested due to a lack of visual evidence and conflicting reports from multiple sources. Zelenopilia. Ukrainian sources claim the village is still contested, while Wargonzo claims it was captured. No pictures or videos were released, making us inclined to believe the settlement is contested. PMC Wagner typically releases videos and pictures to accompany their capture claims. Kordyumivka. Reliable Russian and Ukrainian sources claim the town is contested, going against claims from Kremlin-aligned social media accounts. Ozarianivka. Russian forces and PMC Wagner advancing southwest from Mayorsk captured the town according to multiple reports and a geolocated video showing Russian troops in the railway station area. Based on our assessment, we updated the war map to reflect these changes along the T-513 highway south of Bakhmut. Some Russian sources also claimed Pithorodne, northeast of Bakhmut, was captured without evidence. There were no reports to support this from the Ukrainian and Russian sources we monitor, and none of them, including the Russian MOD, reported any fighting northeast of Bakhmut or a breakthrough along the E-40 highway. So overall, our assessment here, PMC Wagner continues to make tactical gains, with one of the biggest advances since September of 1,000 to 1,500 meters in a day, instead of the typical 25 to 50. The situation around Bakhmut is difficult for both belligerents, but the city is not close to a technical encirclement. Ukraine is moving reinforcements to this region, including the 71st Separate Jaeger Infantry Brigade of the Air Assault Forces. We maintain that Ukraine must hold Bakhmut as winter weather arrives, providing a key advantage over Russian forces who have fewer options for rotation to better conditions while remaining close to the battlefield. The GSAFU reported a Russian attack on Serebryanka was repulsed. This was likely a DRG or reconnaissance group and not a large-scale attack. Southeast of Lysychansk, fighting continued on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border near Verknokamyanskia, led by the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR. The GSAFU and the Russian MOD reported that fighting was ongoing in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. There were also unsupported claims that PMC Wagner captured Spirna after Ukrainian forces abandoned their positions. Moving on to Luhansk, the GSAFU reported that Russian troops tried to push Ukrainian forces out of Novoselivske, while the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian troops attacked Kuzimivka. The Russian MOD almost certainly made a false claim that Ukrainian forces returned to their, quote, starting point in Berestova, in Kharkiv. Apparently, the Russian MOD doesn't know that to get to Berestova from Kuzimivka, you have to pass through Novoselivske. Needless to say, we did not make any changes to the map, but it does appear that Ukraine is tightening its grip on Novoselivske. Rybar claimed there was continued fighting for control of Ploshanka, and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting led by PMC Wagner east of Bilohorivka, in Luhansk, 
with no change in the situation. The GSAFU confirmed a strike on Svatova from November 26th, targeting a concentration of Russian troops that killed 20 and wounded up to 30 more. Multiple Russian sources reported that Svatova was heavily shelled again yesterday. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In the Cherniev, Kharkiv and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Romadas of Seredina Buda, Druzhba, Shalakhin, and Khluchiv were attacked by Russian forces from across the international border. Ukrainian territorial guard units fought a border skirmish near Seredina Buda that involved small arms fired and up to 60 munitions fired from grenade launchers. The assault was supported by artillery with five shells fired. There was no damage and no casualties were reported. The Druzhba Romada was struck by mortars, while Shalekhin and Khluchiv were shelled. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the indication that Russia is deep into preparation to launch another large-scale attack on Ukraine continues to grow, with two missile carriers capable of launching 16-caliber cruise missiles on patrol in the Black Sea. There were reports that Russia had loaded other vessels with calibers, but they were held in port at the time of recording. In Mykolaiv, less than a week after the water service had returned to the city, the Russian military specifically targeted a water-pumping station in the Kherson region, destroying it. Alexander Sinkovich, the mayor of Mykolaiv, reported that there was no timetable to replace the pumping station and only technical water would be available after a new connection was made to the Buski estuary. Quick sidebar for the vocabulary word, technical water is not potable water. It is not safe for drinking. Rather, it can be used in boilers, turbines, coolants, sewer systems, etc. Natalia Humanyuk, Director of Communications for Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that Ukrainian DRG and SOF units were still operating on the Kinburn Spit. Humanyuk claimed the ongoing operation was meant to clear the threat to shipping through the Dniprovska Gulf so that Mykolaiv could be used as a grain port. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces attacked Chervonohryorivka with smirch rockets fired by MLRS. There wasn't significant damage or injuries reported in one of the lightest attacks on the north bank of the Dnipro in weeks. Four missiles hit the city of Dnipro, likely S-300 anti-aircraft munitions used for a ground attack. Residential housing and an industrial area were hit, and a video indicated that small arms ammunition might have been cooking off in the fire. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky convened another meeting of the staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief with a public readout provided, saying, quote, Commanders of the Operational Command Forces reported on the current situation on the front line, and the actions taken by the defense forces to liberate Ukrainian territory. Staff members also heard information from the intelligence chiefs about the enemy's plans for the near future. End quote. Dmitry Kuleba, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, said the two most urgent needs today are electrical substations and air defense equipment to protect them. Kuleba said, quote, In order to restore the energy system, we need two things 
substations, which are the biggest part of the energy system, and anti-aircraft defense systems to shoot down enemy rockets that hit our infrastructure facilities. So by giving us anti-aircraft defense systems, you are also saving and restoring our energy infrastructure facilities. End quote. Without improved air defenses, Ukraine will be in a repeating cycle of repairing its infrastructure after each attack, with Kuleba arguing that in the long term, providing better and more air defense solutions will be more cost-effective than repeatedly repairing energy infrastructure. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken will announce another aid package to Ukraine today to help repair and maintain the nation's energy infrastructure. The United States Department of State was reportedly working with power utilities in the United States to inventory available transformers that could aid Ukraine while balancing U.S. national security. There was significant activity at Engels Air Base in Saratov, Russia, with up to 14 Tu-95s and four Tu-160 bombers being loaded with munitions, according to satellite images. The attack on Ukraine on November 23rd involved 10 Tu-95 aircraft and a single missile carrier. Russia may be preparing for an even larger attack, but the satellite image's resolution did not provide enough fidelity to identify what was being loaded on each aircraft or if all the bombers on the tarmac were being prepared for operations. Ukrainian officials warned on Sunday that another round of missile attacks was highly likely this week based on their intelligence. The Ukroboronprom state enterprise announced that it had started mass production of 152mm artillery rounds for the D-20 howitzer and various Soviet-era and Russian Federation self-propelled howitzers. The factory is a joint project between Ukraine and allied nations, with production occurring in an undisclosed NATO nation. Russia continues to shuffle military hardware in Belarus, moving 15 Tor M2 anti-aircraft systems into the nation that borders Ukraine. The rumors of a Russian invasion from Belarus toward Kyiv have come and gone. We maintain that a Russian-led offensive from Belarus is possible, but it would likely occur in western Ukraine, not an advance on Kyiv. Our confidence that military action could happen along the border continues to decline, though, based on activity by the Russian MOD, which appears to be using Belarus more for training than staging a larger attack. The defense contractor arm of Boeing has suggested to the United States Department of Defense that it can create low-cost rockets that will work with the M142, M270, and Mars-2 guided multiple launch rocket systems, or GMLRS, with a range of up to 150 kilometers. The program would take a GBU-39 small-diameter bomb with a 113-kilogram high-explosive, or HE, warhead, and adapt it to be delivered using an M26 rocket. The United States has a high inventory level of the GBU-39 bombs, which were ordered for use in Afghanistan, and many M-26 rockets, which were semi-retired after the M-30 and M-31 rockets for HIMARS were developed. The GBU-39 bombs cost the United States less than $40,000 each and would create an affordable, longer-range rocket solution on a budget. Several assemblies have already been built and tested, with Pentagon and Congressional Red Tape now the only obstacles. Speaking of red tape, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Leonid Slutsky, leader of the populist Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, admitted in a meeting that Russia doesn't have enough, quote, doctors in the military units. Everyone says this. 
I cannot say they do not exist at all, but they are practically not seen there. We must understand that the whole world is watching us. We are the largest state, and when we do not have socks, shorts, doctors, intelligence, communications, or simply care for our children, questions arise that will be very difficult to answer. End quote. One thing that Russia apparently does have is matching towel sets. In Kursk, Sergei Karostilev provided the surviving family members of recently deceased Russian soldiers with a matching set of towels and a cake on behalf of a grateful nation. After being completely roasted on the Russian Facebook clone VK, Kursk officials took the post and pictures down. Quick sidebar here. Although counterintuitive for North American audiences, the so-called liberal party is right-wing aligned, and Slutsky is an outspoken supporter of the special military operation. Just making sure that's clear. In Russian-occupied Novomikolaivka in the Zaporizhia Oblast, Russian troops drove a BMP infantry fighting vehicle into the town whilst drunk and went on a rampage. They broke into homes, destroying and looting them, taking women's clothing, winter gear, and underwear. The incident ended when the Russian-appointed mayor called the area commandant to request an intervention. The Mobics left with their looted goods. Wait, they let them keep it? What? Have you noticed that the Russian MOD and Russian state media no longer talk about battalion tactical groups or BTGs? There's a reason for that. Russia has given up. On the concept it introduced a decade ago. We reported many times that Russian forces lacked enough light infantry attached to infantry fighting vehicles. A lot of BTGs entered Ukraine understaffed, some with as few as three dismounts per IFV instead of eight or nine. Russia's centralized command structure didn't permit commanders to act independently, and units competed for resources like artillery. Russia essentially gave up the concept, but went backward, employing Cold War-era strategies from the mid-20th century. Multiple Russian mill bloggers have complained about these failures and how Russia is fighting a 21st-century war using 70-year-old tactics, equipment, and training. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minor graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. During a joint visit to Kyiv, the foreign ministers of Sweden, Finland, Norway, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Iceland announced that their nations would provide more economic, military, and humanitarian aid to Ukraine to support the nation through the winter. Specifics of the deal were not announced. Sweden revealed at the same meeting that it was sending another military aid package to Ukraine worth $280 million. Ukrainian First Lady Olena Zelenska is taking a larger place on the world stage and demanding a global response to the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war. A United Nations report confirmed over 100 cases of rape by Russian troops of children and women aged 4 to 82. Zelenska said, quote, There has to be a global response to this. Unfortunately, such war crimes will keep on going in the world as long as the servicemen think that they can go without any punishment. End quote. The Ukrainian government has launched a support program to help sexual assault victims of the war, which Zelenska hoped could be a, quote, 
first step towards an investigation and prosecution. End quote. The body of children's writer Volodymyr Vakulenko was identified as victim 319 in the mass grave that the Russians created outside of Izum. Burial records, a tattoo, and DNA confirmed his identification. The lauded writer and poet was kidnapped by Russian forces from his Kapitolivka home in March and executed. In economic news, Russian state media is roasting the announcement of the new Moskvich crossover vehicle that will be available in Moscow in January and nationwide in March. The small SUV is not built in Russia, but in China. To get around sanctions, China removes some parts from the vehicles before shipping, which are reinstalled at the Russian factory. Now, before you condemn the practice, in the United States, Subaru put two jump seats in the bed of the Subaru Brat to get around the 25% so-called chicken tax on imported pickup trucks. More recently, Ford imported the transit van to the United States with passenger seating to get around the same tariffs and removed them after import. The rebadged Moskvich sells for the equivalent of 800,000 rubles in China, but in Russia, the price has been marked up to 1.6 to 2 million rubles. While we're on the subject of rubles, the ruble was unchanged, holding an exchange rate of 61 for 1 US dollar. Oil prices rebounded on Monday, with WTI crude trading at $79 a barrel and Brent at $85. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market crept upward, trading at $2.37 per gallon for November contracts. That's $0.62 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for January 2023 continued to climb, trading at €129 Euros per megawatt hour. February 2023 contracts jumped to 132 euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures drifted downward to $7.84 a bushel for March 2023 contracts. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.